May the Lord bless us all. This reflection is about the price of discipleship and the challenge of living it in our decisive times when we are facing very pernicious ideologies. So let us pray. Lord, we turn everything to you. Guide us, strengthen us. Mother Mary, pray for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pondering the Word of God in the liturgy this week and culminating with Luke 14, which was the Gospel on Sunday, I experience the fear of the Lord. I do not mean the dreadful fear, but rather that of being shaken up by the awareness of how radical is the Lord's call to his disciples. And so I prayed, Lord, am I fully understanding and responding? Am I teaching the path you have given to our community with full conviction? Because like the prophets, I find it difficult to speak the word of God. I know that it's going to be often rejected, misunderstood, but it burns in my heart, and I must speak. And the Lord is calling us all to take his word to heart. In Luke 14, we're told that as Jesus approached Jerusalem, great multitudes accompanied him. And they were full of expectation about Jesus entering Jerusalem. They thought he was going to restore the Davidic kingdom. At that point, Jesus turns around, faces them, and tells them, if anyone comes to me without hating his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Think of the shock those people received. It was like if Jesus was saying, wait a minute, your enthusiasm might be false. It was a stark and decisive moment. Now, what does it mean here, hating, like hating father and mother? In this context, we need to understand it as the Jews did. It meant giving up our old way of loving we all should love father and mother, but our way of loving must change because in our fallen nature, our love is tainted with self-love, which leads to false expectations of other people, control, all kinds of woundedness comes out in relationships. Jesus wants to replace that kind of love with his 
own divine human love. And then, as that happens, all relationships take second place to the relationship with God himself that must be center. Once that happens, we're going to love everybody much more, but with a new and transformed love. How is this change going to happen? Well, Jesus tells us, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So this break from the past way of loving to the new way is through a surrender, taking the cross, and just following the Lord as a disciple. We can be disciples only by choosing to love as Jesus loves, that is, carrying the cross. Again, think of the original impact of his words. It's hard for us to grasp today. The message is kind of lost for us, but at that time, it was a huge scandal, especially for the Jews following Jesus. The cross was an instrument of execution and torture. The victim was made a spectacle of agonizing death to instill fear. And to maximize the pain and humiliation, the condemned victim was forced to carry his own cross to the site of execution. So when Jesus says to carry one's cross, it means that you are on death row. Your fate was sealed without the possibility of an appeal. Furthermore, the Jews hated the cross because in Deuteronomy 21-22, a curse is attached to anyone who died on a tree. In the eyes of the Jews, to be crucified then meant total defeat and failure. And so the Lord is saying, go there, renounce. I want to set you free from all your attachments, all your priorities, all your way of loving. I'm going to do something radically new. So following Jesus as disciples is not just a little fix here and there, try a little better. Brothers and sisters, is dying and being born again, as he told Nicodemus. Even though Jesus had warned them before, the crowd had no idea that he was marching towards his death on the cross. Now he tells them that anyone who follows him must also be willing to die on the cross with him. True love seeks to be with the beloved in good times and in bad times. And so the Lord wants us to be with him that way also. The disciple 
is the bride that is called to love Jesus, the bridegroom, with the same love that he loves us. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. This love between the bridegroom and the bride, which is us, is consummated by our union with him at the cross. The multitude in this gospel represents humanity that does not know how to love. And so they continued with him merrily to Jerusalem, not thinking of what he had said. They celebrated his entrance into the city with rejoicing, anticipating a great triumph. But since the word was not allowed to enter good soil, it withered. Everyone abandoned him as soon as the current turned against him. In the end, only Mary, John, and a few women remained. Brothers and sisters, this is a serious teaching for us. We run the same danger. And then the Lord says the story about if you wish to construct a tower, you first calculate the cost. You and I wish to construct a tower. That tower is our relationship with Christ. We want to live according to the gospel and what Jesus had, has taught us in Love Crucified. If so, then we must be sober and calculate the cost Otherwise, we might overlook it. If you are going into a fight, if you're going into a big challenge, you need to know what you're getting into so that you prepare well. And here the challenge is the cross. Not that we should look for suffering for itself. Instead, Jesus calls us to unconditional love. Isn't it true that we all desire that our loved ones accompany, accompany us in our trials, even when that means sharing in our suffering? We hope they'll be there with us. Likewise, Jesus wants us to be with him in trials because they are his trials. We are his body. He wants to accompany us, but we have to accompany him. So like humanity, in general, the multitudes that accompanied Jesus did not know how to love and could not remain with the beloved in his trial. As long as we are in this world we must face many evils. And they present to us a real cross. 
and only true love remains faithful unto the cross. So the Lord is telling us here, you're going to build a tower, the tower of your holiness, the tower of your path to heaven with me. Know that it's a great cost. But don't be afraid. I'm going to be with you. But face what it means. Then he gives another parable. If you go to war, Jesus tells us that if we go to war, we must know our strength and the strength of the enemy. It's like the story of the tower. Jesus is teaching us that there is a price to discipleship. We are in a battle. See, so many Catholics don't realize it. Satan is coming with full strength. In fact, his forces are far superior than ours. If we rely on our own resources, in our goodwill, Satan gets emboldened and will defeat us. But if we put our resources in the hands of Jesus and obey him and are willing to embrace the cross, we will suffer. And if we still go forward in faith, trusting in the Lord, Satan will flee. He knows he cannot fight Jesus. Jesus spoke clearly and bluntly to that multitude. And that word is exactly the same for us. We are not used to that. We would like to think that his words are poetical. Often they are diluted when we hear them. We expect a leader to attract us by telling us what we want to hear. Words of affirmation like, come to Jesus and all your troubles will be solved. We want to hear that God is love and mercy. Absolutely true. But we don't want to hear that the Lord's love and mercy always take us to repentance and new life, which is necessary for salvation. Those hard words of Jesus bringing people to the reality of the challenge of the cross is love and mercy. Many say that we can be saved without repenting and changing our ways of life and even receive the Eucharist in a state of mortal sin. They are not loving when they say that. They are leading people to hell. Repentance is always the path to a relationship with Christ. A disciple's love is shown by renouncing expectations and trusting Jesus 
with everything. Relationships, our ideas, our attachments, our time, our possessions. Not just say it, but we have to really pray and work at it and examine all those areas of our life and beg the Lord and beg the Lord to show us how he wants to utilize them. Very few want to hear this message and much less respond. In his recent article, Prophetic Fatigue, Mark Mallet writes about the complaints that he receives from people who don't want to hear about the challenges of our times. Like the multitude in Luke, they don't want to hear about the cross. They say it is negative. They claim to be overwhelmed. They just want to go on with life, meaning my way. The Lord has given us in love crucified the gift of community so that we can help each other live our vocation, listen to the truth constantly, to be strengthened and filled with assurance and hope not to give up. From the beginning, the messages speak about our times and about how to live them in the power of the cross. We simply cannot follow Jesus and continue to be adapted to the mentality of the world. Jesus' disciples today are under attack of ideologies that are at work throughout the world. This is the journey to the cross that we must now walk with Jesus. I refer you as a reminder to the story of Blessed Franz Jagerstatter, who was martyred by the Nazis, and his story in synopsis is in our website. It's important because it is happening again. Nazis are called right-wing. The communists are called left-wing, as if they were on the opposite ends of the spectrum. But in reality, both identify themselves as socialists. The Nazis were the National Socialist Party. And they used the same methods to impose tyranny and cause the greatest genocides and diabolical oppression that has been seen in the history of humanity. The millions killed by the communists. The millions being killed by the left today through the implementation of abortion has killed more people than any war. They are only opposed, this extreme right and extreme left, they're only opposed in as much as they both want to be in total control. And only one can have total control. That's why they oppose each other. But in essence, 
They're both totalitarian and both present a great danger. These ideologies seek to demolish Christian principles. They invent rights that do not exist, such as the right to abortion, the right to unchaste sexual relations, the right to change our gender, the right to mutilate children with irreversible surgeries in the name of sexual or gender affirmation. And just as our first parents were conned by the serpent, now the serpent is telling us, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Genesis 3, 5 which means you are going to be the ones to decide what is right and wrong, not God. These ideologies, my dear family, are taught in schools, universities, the media, and elsewhere. It has just taken the world by storm, even in some Catholic circles more and more. So words that stand for virtues, such as seeking justice, liberty, freedom, equality, are used as a cover to do the opposite. They claim to be champions for the poor, for women, for minorities, but they use them only to further their agenda. In Colombia, they claim to defend the indigenous people. There are many good causes that Catholics should support as a matter of justice. Of course, we have to be very concerned about the poor, the women, the minorities. It is an injustice when they are oppressed or hurt. But ideologies exploit them to gain power as they did in Russia, Cuba, Nicaragua, and Venezuela, and other countries. No one who lives in Colombia can ignore the multitude of Venezuelan refugees, victims of these ideologies. How can we ignore this and fall again in the same trap? We need to remember, the end does not justify the means. We must discern by being attentive to the means used to achieve objectives. As Catholics, we believe the ends do not justify the means. We must use good means to achieve good ends. What does that mean? It means that to kill, to steal, to promote chaos, to lie, to kidnap, to blackmail, to defame, to corrupt the youth, are evil. These are simple, sinful means that deny the dignity of persons and common good. No matter who uses them, 
They are evil means and we must abhor them, reject them. But if we become captive of an ideology, we no longer discern based on objective morality. And we begin to overlook these things because my party of preference is doing it. So instead of seeking the truth, we strive to defend our ideology. The cause, whether it's the poor, the indigenous people, becomes a facade, a mere tool of propaganda. We then ignore the objective evil that the ideologists do or justify it as necessary to obtain the ideals of the ideology. The Lord promised to send his spirit so we can discern what is true. But we must humbly seek self-knowledge and put to death the lies that have become entrenched in our thinking because all of us are exposed to constant propaganda. Ideologies hate the true Catholic faith. Depending on the region they are, they either replace the Catholic Church with pagan religions because it's a way of transition out of faith or outright atheism. They know that Christ is the greatest obstacle to their plans. In Latin America, they claim that indigenous people were living in paradise until Christianity arrived. This is a myth. All of humanity is fallen and left to itself commits great evil. And all need to be redeemed by Christ. Christianity is not a religion for a continent or another. It's for everyone. Jesus came for all. And at the end, all are going to be under the reign of Christ. Unless they're lost. Another tactic is to condemn the church based on the wrongs done by Christians. But those wrongs were not done because they were Christians, but because they did not live as Christians. There are many people who, who don't live as Christians, but they say they're Christian. In some places, the leaders of the ideologies whether from the left or the far right, they call themselves Catholic while doing all they can to demolish Christian principles. We're seeing that in the United States. They are Trojan horses seeking to have us believe that we can be Christians and embrace their agenda. 
St. Paul says to the Corinthians in chapter 3, 18, Brothers and sisters, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you considers himself wise in this age, let him become a fool so as to become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in the eyes of God. My dear family, the vocation of love crucified is to form disciples of Jesus who remain faithful through these decisive times of deceptive ideologies and accompany him to the cross. Since the beginning, the Lord has been telling us, I do all things new. Revelation 21.5 So, let us allow him to make us new. God bless you. For more information on the path to union with God, please visit the Love Crucified community website at www.lovecrucified.com. God bless you.